Welcome along to the RT Soccer World Cup podcast. Raf Giallo here, and today I am joined by Ed Lee of RT Sport Online and journalist John Bruin. And of course, we're coming to the final furlong of this FIFA World Cup. The final between Argentina and France at the Lasalle Stadium is going to be taking place on Sunday, live on RT2 and the RT Player. And uh, that kickoff is going to be 3 p.m. But also there is a third and fourth place playoff on the Saturday, also live on RT2 and the RT Player. And before we talk about the uh, the big event, let's talk about that uh, game between Croatia and Morocco on Saturday. Because, Ed, I suppose these games between when it comes to this bronze medal match, they tend to be much maligned. Yeah, do you know what? It's time to knock this game on the head. It's nobody's interested, and the players aren't interested. The squad aren't interested. Uh, yeah, they'll celebrate if they win and they they claim some sort of bronze medal scenario. But no, look, do what the Olympics do and to the boxers, just give the boat a medal and send them home. Um, John, uh, the case for the defence now. Uh, yeah, I'm prepared to offer that. Yeah, of course. Um, Look at Croatia. Uh, I think Croatia have been able to qualify for seven World Cups in total, um, go back to 1998. They finished third in um, 1998, which they really enjoyed. Uh, And uh, they beat the Dutch, didn't they? Uh, And, of course, um, they finished second last time. They finished third this time. Now, three podium finishes, as you might call it. Uh, That's national pride for such a small country. And on the flip side of that, you've got Morocco, who, having already uh, gone through that um, stumbling block for African teams, uh, but they did lose the semi-final, but finishing third would be, be a huge achievement for them. And you think of teams like, and funny enough, I'm thinking of teams like uh, Bulgaria 1994, Turkey 2002, um, but then you compare it to the attitude of, well, my brave boys, England, uh, four years ago, who turned it in against Belgium. And then uh, I think 2014, Brazil, having sobbed the way through the week, having lost 7-1, then did the same against the Dutch. So uh, it's a strange game. I understand Ed's point because there's a possibility one of the teams isn't going to be bothered about it. So it's uncompetitive by its nature. But I'm not sure that these two teams don't want to win it. It just depends on mental and physical fatigue. Yeah, for sure. One thing I will will say about it, Raph, is that there's been so much... Especially under Morocco's side, there's been so much of a spotlight on them and so much intensity and I wouldn't say pressure because it wasn't pressure because they over over exceeded their expectations, but just that sort of all the way through it, they were they were so highly strong about doing their absolute very best and you know they, they they were just giving absolutely everything to it. So I think they'll go. Actually, they'll go and enjoy this game, and they'll probably they'll probably play really well. I think. I think Croatia might just see it as as being a step back from from the previous one, and may not show up. Uh, but the, there is there is the angle though as well, John, isn't there? Of uh, Luka Modric now, uh, the coach Slako Dalic has said that uh, he expects Modric to go on to Euro twenty twenty four when when he will be thirty nine years old. Wow. But, yeah. There's a there is the possibility. Well, of course, as well that Croatia have a Nations League finals uh, in June as well. So probably tomorrow, um, unless uh, Luka Modric makes a sort of drastic decision, probably isn't going to be his last game. But still, for another for some of the cohort of that Croatian generation, it certainly will be a swan song of sorts. Yeah, yeah, you've got other players like Perisic, haven't you? Um, yeah, I suppose you flip it around to that, and makes a good point that. 
Morocco might see it as the grander prize and Croatia have got other fish to fry. Um, I mean, Modric is such a brilliant player that you could see him playing two years hence. Um, he doesn't rely on pace um, or anything like that. There's a possibility he could do that. But um, yeah, so maybe it isn't the swan song that he might want. But I mean, and I suppose he did leave the field in the semi-final when it was lost in a fairly, you know, that that was it you know, high fives all around. So there's a possibility he might not play, I suppose. But, um, yeah, it would be a shame, though, because Modric has been, well, has he has been throughout the last 10, 15 years, one of the best players on show. Um, be nice to see him. But, yeah, there is a, there is that thing, as Ed says, that sort of slightly friendly um, soccer aid type of quality to this type of fixture, isn't there, really? Yeah. Well, hey, no. come here, listen, if you were... Uh... If you were the Croatia boss and you watched the performances that Modric has, is capable of putting in today, yesterday, last week, you're not going to let him go anywhere. You're going to say, listen, March yeah. is only three months away. <laughs> don't, you know, I don't, if you can even give me 80% of that, you're, you're, you're in. Yeah, and I suppose there is that aspect as well that uh, given the timing of this World Cup, the next Euros is eighteen months away as opposed to two years. I don't know. Yeah, if, yeah. I don't. I don't know if that really factors into Modric's thoughts, and I'm not privy to that either. Well, I suppose it's only uh, it's the end of this season and then next season, so it, it's it, it's a visible target. Um, yeah, I mean that <laughs> there is no sign that Modric is a, a worse player than he was two or three years ago. I mean, he was the dominant player in the Champions League final six months ago, and uh, he's been a dominant player in the World Cup. Um, and you know, it's it's there's probably more to come. Yeah, and we hope to all the viewers there that we've really sold this match for tomorrow, yeah. of course. So that's going to be live on RT2 and the RT player. And <laughs> yeah, you can watch it live, 3 p.m. kickoff. Obviously, the, the main event is on Sunday between Argentina and France. And I think we might just get this whole GOAT conversation out of the way early and then talk about the actual actual match. In terms of Lionel Messi, of course, a lot of the focus is going to be on him. He's carrying the, he's carried this Argentina team brilliantly throughout this tournament. And while we might be uncertain about Modric's future, I think we're more certain this is probably the last time we see Messi in an Argentina shirt. Uh, John, in terms of the whole conversation about the greatest of all time and whether he actually needs a World Cup or not to claim it, and again, it's a, the whole goat thing, I guess, is a sort of pointless conversation because it's very hard to compare between eras. Does he really need a World Cup to be uh, considered in that same you know bracket as Maradona or uh, Pele? Well, I'm reminded of uh, Tony McCoy always used to talk about how it didn't matter that he'd won the Grand National. And I think Tom Kite, the golfer, always said that it didn't matter whether he won a major. But when they did, well, of course, it mattered most of all, didn't it? <laughs> and and I think that's that's how you've got to look at it from Messi's point of view. Having said that, unlike Tony McCoy, unlike Tom Kite, he's never hidden the fact that he really, really, really wants to win this and to crown his legacy. It's just that. Uh, when you're comparing him to Maradona, Maradona was 25 in 1986. He's 35. Uh, Maradona uh, had the the youth and the vigour to carry his team through. Um, does Messi have that in a game against European opponents that Argentina have often found difficult? I mean, I was thinking it was three World Cups in a row that Germany put them out 2006, 2010. And then, of course, the final uh, in 2014. Um, and last time out, obviously, they lost to the French. Um, 
there is that question, isn't there? Now, uh, if Messi was 25, would he be able to carry Argentina through this game? You suggest he probably would, but it's a slightly different thing. Um, you think back to 2014 when they lost in the World Cup final. Um, if, if Argentina had won that, Messi would have spent the rest of his career being described as the greatest player ever. How how different would his career have been? It's it's almost like he's almost needed this destiny to keep going, to keep proving himself. And at this World Cup, he's a remodeled player. He's reinvented the game. He's playing this walking football. And he is um, a phenomenon still, but in a very different way. Um, do I compare it to Maradona? I'm of a vintage that sees Maradona as just an unbelievable talent, but also flawed in the way that it didn't last as long as it should. Messi's longevity is superior to just about anyone's in the game. And the other thing is about that greatest of all time narrative that we always had. We always had to compare him to that other guy, didn't we? Let's not mention his name. <laughs> but I think he's buried that one in this tournament, don't you? Ed, um, what do you think? Do you know what? I have a soft spot for Cristiano. You know, oh. I'm not saying I'm not saying he's. Uh, I'm not saying. I I think from my point of view, they're so dissimilar type of players that I wouldn't. Uh, I have no problem sort of recognizing the the greatness of both. Um, but no, yeah. Uh, imagine imagine Messi as a 25 year old with this Argentina team. That would be uh, something really that would have. You know, you'd have to imagine. That, He'd he'd have it won at this stage, wouldn't he? But um, no, look, Messi is the greatest of all team. Does he need to win a World Cup medal? I don't think so. Um, George Best never even played in the World Cup. Um, you know, I think it would be great. And and like John said, you know, <laughs> if he gets to win his medal, of course, it's going to be the most uh, important thing in his career and the thing that defines him. But um. He'll never be. He'll never become. He'll never be that Maradona type figure who, uh, you know, the, the flawed genius like like John said. He, he's not. He's not not that type. The longevity of his career has allowed us to see his quality over over time. And like all good rock bands, he's evolved over the years uh, to to allow himself to remain a uh, uh, part of the conversation. What what good rock bands are these now? Do you know what? I was only listening. To, I'm, I'm, I'm not a U2 fan, but I was listening to Octung Baby there recently, and I, you do appreciate the way U2 sort of just picked up the dance vibe and just sort of went with it a bit, and and I created one of well, be one of my favorite albums for them. But let's not, let's not go down the uh, the Bono the Bono talk. He, he keep him for the third place playoff. Yeah, now, uh, in regards to Argentina, they've had an extra rest day or a beautiful day if we're going to go uh, go down the YouTube route, John, but uh <laughs> promise that's the last time. We've had a few of these because of Bono, the, the Moroccan goalkeeper, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to park that one forever now. Um, but uh, when looking back at trends in previous tournaments, only Spain in 2010 and then Brazil in 2002 during... Uh, and also, if you go back as far as France 98, did a team win the World Cup having played the second semi-final? I don't know if you think it's going to be a factor this time, given that France weren't taken to extra time either. And I guess there's enough days to recover as well. Yeah, well, uh, OK. Consider that I, I think actually both those teams, both the finalists this time, had relatively serene um, visits to the semi-final. Uh, if that was the case, last time Croatia played against England and, and that went to extra time uh, back in 2014, um, 
uh, Argentina, who, who lost that game, uh, they uh, had gone to extra time and penalties against Germany. So, yeah, the, the, I think extra time and penalties are, is a big factor because of the, I suppose, the the psychic energy that these teams are using up. Um, so does that is does that present an advantage to Argentina? Um, possibly, very possibly, physically. But does it give them longer to think about this? Does it give them longer? Because, funny enough, I was I was thinking about this when they when when they beat they win the semi final. Everyone's like, it's Messi's World Cup. That's it. He's on for destiny. And then you forget that the next night you're going to watch a French team. Really, you know, I mean, Morocco made it difficult for them, but deal with them really rather professionally. And you begin to consider how many options they have, how many possibly more dimensions they have than the Argentina team. It's not that easy. And I suppose Argentina will have watched that game and thought, mm, this lot are handy. They've already, they're already the holders. They've got the know-how. Um, it, it, it's very difficult to call, isn't it? Um I, I don't know how much those factors come because we always go through these trends and then something books it and there's no reason why this one can't. Yeah, because as, as I went back further in time, the trend kept getting booked, so I stopped stopped it around because uh, <laughs> my argument uh, my argument was going to be uh, was going to be uh, uh, I suppose affected. But um, obviously, the French as well have uh, an issue with uh, a cold or a virus going around their camp. So Varane and uh, Ibrahim Konate are the latest affected by it. Previously, wow. had been Upa Meccano and uh, Rabio who had missed the semi final, but uh, they're expected, or at least Upa Meccano is expected back. Now, you said um, John that they're you know that Argentina have had a little bit of time to maybe have a look at the French and maybe they would have had an expectation it would have been France getting through anyway. But it's interesting. They're probably, in terms of the tactics they've used through the tournament, they've shifted formation quite a lot. And it was interesting that, say, when they played the Dutch, they sort of matched their formation. When it came to Croatia, then they decided to pack the midfield. How do you expect <laughs> them to... How do you expect them to line up against the French? Because it will be expected France, even if personnel do change, will stick with the 4 2 3 one yeah, I don't think. I mean, France France's flexibility is not necessarily tactical. It's within the players they've got. You know, uh, obviously, Griezmann adds that that uh, X factor in there. Um, the big question, isn't it, is Mbappe? Um, you know, do they have uh, a, a speedster to, to cope with? Um, well, is there a Kyle Walker? You know, who dealt very well actually with Mbappe and Hakimi. For Morocco, actually, did quite well against him, though Mbappe did play a role in both goals. Um, Molina, it is, isn't it? The Atletico guy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, is it Rodrigo de Paul sort of leans on that side of the. They've got a big job on. Now, uh, I must confess, I'm not aware if Lionel Scaloni uh, is, is a man to. Uh, well, as a, as a disciple, actually, of Alan Pardew at um, West Ham, is the man to uh, switch around his tactics so much. Um, but, you know, it, there is this idea, isn't it, that, that uh, if they're worried uh, about the opponents, then they would um, maybe switch around. Like maybe Lissandro Martinez comes into the team uh, for his sort of man-marking abilities. Um, one thing to actually consider... Uh, at what point, uh, beyond the Saudi Arabia game, which we must scratch, have uh, Argentina looked under most threat? Well, funny enough, that was when Louis van Gaal was smashing balls long up to the big men. And obviously France have Giroud, uh, who is the best big man in the tournament. 
Um, so uh, maybe that could be something to look for. Um, I think actually uh, the, I think what we're driving at here is Argentina have the toughest uh, tactics thing because, of course, having Messi in the team means that you've got one guy who is not going to run a leg, who's not going to put a tackle in, he's not going to press, uh, and that, that creates a big problem in, in the modern football team. Yeah, and certainly, Ed, I suppose he's on the side of the pitch where um, obviously he tends to lean towards the right in terms of where he cuts in from. And uh, that's the side Theo Hernandez, who is the most forward thinking of the full backs for France and also Mbappe are going to be. So as John said, I mean, the task for Rodrigo de Paul, who's usually sort of Messi's bodyguard behind him and then whichever full back starts and whether it's in a tree uh, tree at the back or in the uh, in, a, in a back four, they've got a huge task on their hands on that side. Yeah, look, do you know it was it was interesting when um, in in the last game when when they were defending the lead. Uh, I think when it was when it was still at two 0 and uh, they were just kind of put under a bit of pressure. It was noticeable that Messi just went up up top on his own and let the lads do all the running in behind him. So you'd you'd wonder if. If Scaloni is is contemplating something similar either for the early stages of the game, uh, just to really allow his team to settle into the into see see what France throw with them for the early stages, um, you know. But I, I think I think France will have a specific game plan for Messi, and wherever he goes, they'll like they'll oh look they'll. They'll, they'll expect him to be out there. They'll imagine Hernandez is 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 tough as nails as well as getting forward, and he, he's he's quick as well. And but you'd have to, you'd have to be concerned with the French uh, fitness scenario because this flu thing doesn't seem to be going away. And while we questioned their depth earlier in in, in the tournament, um, it was it was probably reassuring for them in the last game that players like Kanate came in and. I, I, you know, if he's fully fit, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he got to not to stay in the team because I thought, I thought he was excellent, and I think players like him will be vital now to, to stop a bit of pace and organisation and timing to, to stop that those sort of messy, mazy runs coming in from, in from the right and, and stop him early in his tracks so he doesn't get to be as, 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 as incisive or important as he was in, in the last game. Yeah, because in the 2018 game, it was really N'Golo Kante that was blocking a lot of that space that Messi would have had. Yeah. And uh, although now with France, in terms of uh, Griezmann's role or what Pogba is now referring as Grease yeah. Kante or something on social media, Griezmann brings an element in terms of dropping deep, it seems, John, and is, uh, you know, the problem Argentina, I suppose, are going to have both defence and attack. Obviously, he, Griezmann contributes defensively uh, despite being a forward-thinking player, but also at the same time, if they are able to block off Mbappe and uh, deal with Giroud, there's another space that opens up there for Griezmann and also Dembele has pace on the other side. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, France have a, have, a, have a wealth of options and, and, and uh, forgive my pronunciation, too many, uh, many, is that his name? Yeah, he, again... Um, he's made us forget about Paul Pogba. Uh, though if you're a Manchester United fan, you've wanted to do that for quite a while. Uh, um, it, <laughs> I suppose the thing is, with France, what France have shown is the real depth of talent they have in France um, with that um, almost conveyor belt of players that they have, you know, through Claire Fontaine and um, the, the, the players from, uh, you know, Ile-de-France um, and... 
it's actually not dissimilar to, to the way that Argentina is that talent factory that churns out so many players. I mean, you know, a player that is unsung, though, obviously was a star of the semi-final is Julian Alvarez. And it's like they just unearth these player after player. Forget Messi. Uh, Alvarez fits into that model, doesn't he, of the... Um, the Aymar, the Aguero, the you know, just impossibly talented players. It's just that they happen to be in the same team as Lionel Messi. Um, and, and France obviously don't have a megastar like that, even though Mbappe is the heir apparent, it is said. Um, but they, they just have those players and they have adaptable players. And funny enough, if you talk to Premier League scouts, they will always say that players coming from Liga... So England find it easy because of that physical ability, that tactical um, nous that they have. And I think that's been brought to bear in this World Cup. And remember, this is a World Cup in which teams have had very little time to work together. And that's why I think France have come so far, because you have a player like Griezmann, who is such a tactically aware player. Now, I think there's been quite a lot of people saying that this revelation that someone they thought was a forward player is now this great midfielder. But I remember him playing for Real Sociedad at Old Trafford a few years ago. And I always thought of him as a sort of creative player that could drop deep and stuff like that. And so it's become, he's just a quality footballer. And that's what France turn out. And I suppose when we get to the final, it's beyond the sort of superstar names. It's the depth of the talents in support of those superstar names that are probably going to be the, the key to the match. Yeah, and just interesting as well, just on sort of on a similar team in terms of teams not having time to work together. Obviously, pressing comes from working together yeah. and learning how to do that. Neither of these sides really press in a cohesive way. The French certainly don't. They're a lot more passive. It's just something Karen Carney um, said in The Guardian in an article mm. today that neither side press, but either also neither side will look to dominate the ball. So I'd be interested to see how do you think this plays out? It looks like it's going to be... a cagey game in terms of especially early on um albeit that France you know they started quite uh, quickly against Morocco and then were able to then settle back into their shape after but Argentina then also tend to start quickly in games albeit not in the semi-final well I, yeah I, yeah there are going to be those big tactical uh questions I, I always think that you know you could and I suppose that's the thing it's the key to international teams, international football, the successful teams of the recent era, and it's it's what England modelled themselves on. You don't play that pressing game because, as you say, as you say, Ralph, um, pressing actually is quite difficult to organise. Um, I, I remember, I'm sorry to be baroque about this. I remember Fabio Capello always used to scream, "Press, press!" at the England players. Well, they couldn't do because he wasn't. They weren't used to working within that structure. It's very difficult to put into place. And I think why uh, Didier Deschamps is such a successful manager, it's pragmatism. It's why you know uh, Portugal won the, um, uh, the Euros back in 2016. Um, and uh, Italy, I suppose, in 2020 was a slightly different case because they, funnily enough, had a, had a bit more of a... Of a um, a collective system, but actually that came apart because unless they were all together in a in a camp working on it, they couldn't they couldn't sustain it over um, you know the qualifiers. So what you've got in Argentina and um, France and what you what this tournament and the discipline is required is been that make do and men policy. And both managers have shown themselves to be very adaptable because. Um, before the tournament in Argentina, you were talking about Lauchuro Martinez, you know, one of the best 
players in Serie A. Well, okay, he scored a penalty, but it's not been a great tournament for him, really. You've got Julian Alvarez, who's been a reserve at Manchester City, come in. And then, you know, France have ridden out uh, the loss of one Hernandez to, to bring in another. Now, who I always thought was a bit more of an attacking player than uh, than defender. Um, and obviously they had, you know, Benjamin Pavard, who's had difficulties, let's put it that way. And this has just been... Um, this is tournament football, the adaptability. You cannot set off with uh, the belief that this is the team that's going to carry you all the way through. And for the final, um, it's difficult as well because I'm beginning to wonder if if either of those managers will make the big decision that means a player that's carried you well through the tournament will be dropped for some tactical thing. But uh, these are pragmatic managers. Let's see if that happens. Yeah, and the, the only thing... It- on that note, sorry, Rafael. Like, I don't think, I don't think, it, I don't think these teams want to be seen as a present team as well because, because their front units are so dynamic that you you want them, you want to see the best of them at at full throttle, you know. So especially the French team, you don't want Mbappe and Dembele tearing around the place, Giroud, you know, wasting energy just trying to get the ball back in the final third unless. Really looking to maybe get get back into a game, or else just looking to kill off a game or something. But like Argentina, the same. If they start a pressing game, like where's Messi going to fit into that? You know, they're, they're going to just tire out their players. So I don't, I don't think it's 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 going to uh, prevent this game from being any any you know any 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 worse or any better. You know, I think it's going to I think it's you're going to see the best of the attacking units as a result of it. Yeah, and the thing I was going to uh, add to you, Ed, as well, um, the other thing that probably, I guess, that helps uh, would be the fact that Argentina's defenders, in terms of their individual profiles, are quite erratic and very front foot as well. And then we look at France's, uh, I suppose, their their clean sheet record has been quite poor in the tournament. The first one they kept was against Morocco, yet at the same time, Morocco sort of got at them. Oh, yeah. So look, both teams, you know, there's been... You're, you're looking at both teams and... You just know there is there's mistakes in the back, whether through unfamiliarity, sort of in the French side of things. Um, they're just you know not not as used to playing as as a unit together. So there's there's going to be mistakes. Um, I think both goalkeepers are, have a have a mistake in them, um, but they've both been quite quite uh, consistent throughout the tournament so far. So you might see something there in the final. Um, but yeah, I think if you look at if you look at the Argentinian defense, you know I've I've still been I've been pretty impressed with them to be honest. Which I think they've done well, and I think they've got better as the tournament's gone on. Yeah, certainly since the Saudi Arabia game, of course. Yeah. But um, in terms of the legacy of these teams, John, like if either one wins it. Obviously, Argentina, I get the sense there's maybe an hour and ever feel, but for France, obviously, they're going to make history first team in 60 years to, if they, if they do win, to uh, to do back-to-back World Cups. But in terms of their standing within the game, let, maybe let's start with France and how you view this particular crop of players and this generation, and albeit we have to admit the 2018 final and 2022 teams, the, the selection of players is only going to probably be half of the 2018 team starting uh, for injuries and other reasons, but like, where where do they stand for you in terms of history? Because they're a bit different from Spain from 2010, say, where Spain had a defined style. It's hard to define what France are. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, let's compare them to the to the great French teams. And and actually, the great French teams have only really arrived in the last 40 years. So I feel qualified to talk about them. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the team of Platini, Gires, uh, Tigana, Fernandez, um, actually, we're lacking a striker, but we're brilliant. You know, the greatest midfield, perhaps, that has ever played in a in a Euro, certainly. Uh, and then, of course, that that team in 98 and 2000 uh, and Euro 2000 were, were fantastic. And Deschamps obviously was a, a key player in that and a captain, um, which adds actually, when we're talking about legacy, Didier Deschamps, uh, it's the possibility that he will have captained a team to the World Cup and won it and then won it again, which is sensational. Now, um, you know, you compare that. I mean, Franz Beckenbauer is one of the game's all-time greats and great statesmen, but Deschamps is a much less respected character. Um, perhaps that he will be afforded that respect. Uh, if certainly, they win not, it. certainly not by Cantona. Let's just well, yeah, that. well, yeah. Well, the water carry thing is something he's carried around. So, no, no pun intended. Since you know the mid nineties, when Cantona aimed that that slur at him, um, and. But he was a, a fantastic player, and you know the, the gel within that that Juventus team was there, and the same with the French team, and he's pretty much the same for as a manager as well. Nothing is particularly um, complicated about what he does, and that that speaks to the thing that you said there, which is that there isn't um, this this overly tactical style with the Spanish team that you know that you would expect the Spanish drills of you know. Uh, 2008 to 2012 would be far more complicated than working with, you know, DD on set pieces or anything like that. He's a pragmatist and he's recognised that uh, football in, in the international sense requires pragmatism. Um, yeah, I don't think this team is possibly as, as good as that team four years ago. But again, we're, we're in a different paradigm because we're in a, we're a different time, a different discipline required. Um, and actually, as we've seen, uh, the Champions League and the World Cup, if they do win it a second time, then they are one of the greatest teams of all time. And yet, I'm still not sure how we've managed to arrive at that being a possibility, if you see what I mean. Because, it, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're good, they're efficient, they get the job done. They've got a striker in Giroud that everyone respects, but he isn't an all-time great. Of course, they've got Mbappe, an explosive player. They've got talent throughout the team, yet we don't respect them as much as, say, a, a Brazilian team of of 1970 or um, Argentina 78 or Argentina 86. But I think they probably are afforded that respect or ought to be. If they win it, it's a, a fantastic achievement and it's also a tribute to the, the strength of French football and how much that's grown over those last four decades that I talked about. You know, Ned, you look like you had uh, something to say there. Well, no, Jim, we were talking earlier in the tournament about a lot of the Irish uh, Irish internationals who go over and make a career for themselves in England and then end up living in England and doing a lot of media work in England. And they were sort of wondering, do they have a sort of a blind spot about uh, how good the English team are? They, they, like, they all sort of join in on the, on the bandwagon and building up each English team. So just sort of wondering, is there a sort of a blind spot there towards the French team from England as to giving them due, due recognition and maybe even just as a, almost from the perspective of their league, the actual domestic game is just not as good, not, not, not near yeah. the class of the Premier League. 
Well, I think there's only five players uh, that played Liga in the French team. I was looking that up this morning, and only one Argentinian player actually plays in uh, the Argentinian league. That's one of the reserve goalies. So they're good travellers, the French, aren't they? They 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 have become the desired item. I mean, <laughs> since the days of 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 Cancelo, or something of a pioneer there. Yeah, and for Ersen Wenger is the, the the architect of that because he showed uh, English teams that hang on, just across the water there, you've got a wealth of talent, <laughs> and that includes, and also you know French football, um, it, it has that that wealth of uh, African influence as well. I mean, you, you flick through the, the the origin stories of a lot of the players that um, I think uh, is it Edward Camavinga. I think was born in Angola of uh, for, of Congolese refugees, and Chimeni, uh, aforementioned again, I think it's from Cameroon origin. I, I might have that wrong, but you know, essentially, they've got that African influence. So th- th- it's much more of a um, culturally diverse footballing culture uh, in France, and I think they've been beneficiaries of that, um, just as England are actually at, at the moment. Actually, that's that's developing in, in a similar fashion. Um, I think France, France have been ahead of the game in, in youth development for many years and everyone else is catching up. The Germans did it, got to a certain point and then crashed back down again. And England have got to a plateau, but the French keep on developing. They're, they're, you know, it's, it's a tribute to, to their organisation um, and um, the talent spotting in that country. Uh, because the thing is, you flick through that French team and they've got so many different types of players. There's not a, an... You know, there's a, there's obviously an English archetype for player that's changed a bit now, and I'm afraid to say there was an Irish archetype for player that's changed a bit as well. I'd say, but France, France, that's never quite been the case, and that's going back forty years or so. Back to that 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 that, that midfield that I say, all very different players, um, and I think that's why France are, in international terms, um, Europe's strongest international team. Yeah, isn't certainly. that isn't that why isn't that why though? Um... They are one of the greatest teams, because not necessarily yeah. in that 1970s Brazil stylish team, but the greatest teams as in getting results, winning tournaments, adapting to play, you know, changing it around, just learning how to how to beat teams like the way they got the early goal against Morocco. And when you watch the classic Spanish Portuguese style of the of the beautiful game, uh, unable to do it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and uh, also in Argentina, John, I guess the, there's that sense, as I said, of an hour and ever um, once Messi goes, and this will certainly be his last international game. You've mentioned the likes of Alvarez and that who are coming through, but there is a sense that realistically for at least maybe another, you look at the profile of the team and the age profile, it doesn't look like they're necessarily going to be contending in four years. Obviously, it's hard to, pre- or to predict uh, at that stage or eight years. Maybe it might be a generation after that. And as much as there is pressure on Messi, there's probably pressure on the country that it has to be sort of now before a longer wait. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that phrase, generational talents, applies most of all, I suppose, doesn't it, to Argentina, Maradona, Messi. There isn't... that. <laughs> Those are talents for any generation. But, um, yeah, th- th- that there is this... Um, Idea floated, and I'll credit him. Uh, he's a friend of mine, Jonathan Wilson, uh, was saying the other day, um, and I think this is true, that I think if you go between 1997 and 2007, um, Argentina won five out of seven World Youth Championships, the under-20s. 
And that produced that wealth of uh, Argentinian players that flooded Europe. You know, Aguero, uh, Saviola, Messi, of course, you name it. Juan Roman Raquelman. I mean, listen, the list is, is very, very long. And these are all quality players that we all remember watching the Champions League. And that's not to say that the, the well is completely dry because, yeah, as we've mentioned, a, a couple of young players coming through. Um, but I suppose when you see a player like Angel Di Maria still floating around, you begin to think, well, this is Argentina. Can they not find someone that isn't Angel Di Maria? You know, because, I mean, as good a player as he, as he can be, and he's clearly a good tourist, and also it does help that he is Lino Messi's mate. Uh, and um, you, you've got... Yeah, it is, it is now or never, and it's been. It's always felt it's felt now or never for quite a while, because of that that messy generation. And I think the coach at the centre of that um, uh, is is it Jose Luis Peckerman, who was actually coach. Yeah, of, yeah. Uh, who was yeah. coach of Argentina at one point, and I think coach Columbia in recent World Cup. Yeah, and I think he's the Venezuela manager at the moment. As yeah, well, I know. yeah. So he's a gun for hire these days. But uh, at one point, he was like the most successful youth coach in the game. And he's the, the, I suppose, the father of that generation of bringing those players through. And it, and if you actually look at the the winners of World Youth Championships recently, under twenties, they've all been European since that, since that big change. And and what that means is that yeah, that the well is drying up, and you know there is that uh, diversity of talent coming from around the world now. Uh, it's not completely concentrated. On South America, and it's not completely concentrated on Argentina from South America. So yes, um, and again, it helps to have Messi around, no matter how little he's going to run for you. Yeah. So before we go now, Ed, uh, what's your head and your heart saying in terms of where the direction of the the World Cup trophy goes in the end? Yeah, it's a conflict, isn't it? I think it's it's the head of Saint France and the heart, obviously, with, with, with Messi. Um, it would be great to see him with the with the trophy, but uh, no, I just think France will work out a way to win it, and provided that they're not overly uh, ex- exposed with the illness side of things, I think they'll I think they'll win it. And John, final word to you. I'm tempted to go with Ed actually. Uh, yeah, um, with actually that the, the illness factor. Um, Sounds a bit Spurs 2005, doesn't it? Lasagna Gate, but um, <laughs> and it would be a terrible shame if that happened. I mean, good God, that's that would ruin everything. Then maybe that's what Gianni Infantino deserves. Let's but let's set that to one side. Um, I, I, I'm tempted by would would the legend of Messi be even more uh extemporized by the fact that he got to two World Cup finals and didn't win either of them. Would that would that add an edge edge an edge of romance to Messi? Because you know one thing about Messi is there's this slightly cold figure. You know what I mean? Like it, it's we've never really known him. But this idea of him being a beautiful loser, I think that's quite seductive, you know. So um is it, like the, yeah. is it like the sort of Jimmy White thing that you know he's yeah probably, there is no yeah. there is no more popular snooker player than Jimmy White and, yeah. and and actually AP McCoy was probably most popular when he hadn't won the Grand National even though he's a winning machine you know uh, yeah it's it's um th- th- that idea of never quite making it um I, I, I quite like that idea 
Um, I'm not sure Messi would agree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I can see Cristiano Ronaldo kind of enjoying. Well, yeah, that I mean, could, yeah, there could, there could be a party in a in a Portuguese villa or somewhere, but um, <laughs> yeah, if that goes down. But um, yeah, I, I think France could have a little bit too more. I do think Argentina uh, tactically may be a, uh, have the problems against um, the arch pragmatist in Deschamps, but let's see how the sickness report goes first, shall we? Yeah, and hey, so one that, thing, yeah. one thing, sir. If if Argentina were to do it, you could imagine that Messi is going to have to do something spectacular to for that to happen. And yeah. it, should that be the case, what a what a way to bow out! Absolutely, okay. most certainly. So that final three o'clock on Sunday, live on RT two and the RT player, and of course before that on Saturday, you can also watch the third and fourth place playoff between Croatia and Morocco. That's it for today. We've only got the World Cup final to wait for now in terms of the podcast. We'll be recording one straight after Decider, regardless of what happens. But uh, Ed Lee, thanks, Mill, for coming on today. And also John Brune. Thanks. Thanks for having me.